Hello, everybody. This is Andrew Gomison with the Speaking for Him podcast. Thank you for making time in your busy schedule to spend some time with us this week. I have a very full, jam-packed episode for you today, and so we're going to jump right into it. Um, I just uh, want to say that I appreciate every one of you who takes the time to listen, and I hope you had a wonderful new year. So without further ado, I want to share with you a little bit of what is going on. All right, well, right off the top, I want to tell you how wonderful it has been to have have a couple days at school under my belt. It was so great to go back earlier this week and see everyone and to begin working with the kids again. So thank you for praying for me during this layoff and please continue to pray for me and my colleagues as we continue to pour Christ into our students as well as um, encourage them in their academic goals. So definitely appreciate your continued support. I wouldn't have been able to make it through the lockdowns earlier this year or the recent layoff if it wasn't for wonderful friends and family who come alongside and encourage me. So I am extremely grateful for that. Uh, well, today on the show, we are going to be talking about a documentary that that a couple people, a friend of mine and my brother, um, mentioned to me as a very good documentary to share. And I think it's it's appropriate in the times in which we live. So it's called In His Image, and it talks about the proper view of God, of sexuality through the lens of the Bible. Now, this is not a documentary to watch with your family, but it is a documentary to watch with your spouse and perhaps your older teens so that you can have a discussion as a family about the important issues related to sexuality and the scriptures, and also so that you can engage in the public square in a compassionate but truthful way about these important things. And we will dig into that very shortly. But first, I have a couple things that I want to share with you on the news front. First of all, I want to say right off the top here that I was very disappointed uh, in the riots uh, yesterday, or in the riots at the Capitol. Um, it is never appropriate to riot, and it is never appropriate to use violence to get your point across. That being said, I did want to address what I feel is a disproportionate um, emphasis by the media about how bad conservative supporters of the president are. And what I mean by that is simply this. There could have been thousands of people at the Capitol yesterday, um, and if 20 or 30 um, behaved in an unseemly manner, and caused a, a ruckus, that would be the focus, and in fact was the focus, of the media. And they actually said that these people laid siege to the Capitol. Uh, there was no siege of the Capitol. There was a group of people who tried to make a statement um, and walked into the Capitol and caused some difficulty. I definitely agree that that was wrong. I agree that 
where there was violence perpetrated, it should be prosecuted. But I think we need to put it in perspective and realize that it is a very small amount of the people that actually were involved in this protest were actually of the violent persuasion. I think that that is a very important distinction to make. The second thing that I want to bring up is I saw a lot of people rejoicing yesterday that a black senator was elected to the Senate in Georgia, Raphael Warnock, and how exciting that was that for the first time a black senator was elected to the Senate in a Confederate state. And how groundbreaking that was for us. And I would like to say, in a sense, that I agree. But the problem is that we tend to focus on his skin color and say, oh, it's great for the African-American community that this guy is in the Senate. But see, skin color has never mattered to me when it came to casting a vote for president or for any other office. The reality is, folks, that in 1996, before I was even able to vote, I supported Alan Keyes for president. I regretted that I was only 17 and was a year away from being able to vote. And I supported Alan Keyes again in 2000. For those that don't know, Alan Keyes was an ambassador in the George W. Bush administration, and he was a solid conservative candidate. He also... Uh, ran for Senate against Barack Obama, but he never was able to get either of those offices. But I supported him not because he was black, not because it would have been groundbreaking for him to be in the Senate as a black man, because I believed in the moral stands that he took. Now we are in a situation where Raphael Warnock has become one of the senators in the state of Georgia. Raphael Warnock is a man who claims to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's a minister who currently serves at Ebenezer Baptist Church, where Martin Luther King was once the minister. And yet he espouses that it is right for women to be able to have the right to choose abortion for their baby. Now, I want you to listen to a clip where he is discussing this because I want to, I want to contrast actually two clips and listen to the language that is used in each one. The significance of this, I hope, will be seen as you listen to the clip. So I'm going to play first the first one, and the first one is Raphael Warnock defending is pro-choice position. Oh, I, I believe that health care is a human right. And I believe that it is something that the richest nation in the world provides for its citizens. And for me, reproductive justice is consistent with my commitment to that. Uh, I believe unequivocally in a woman's right to choose and that the decision uh, is something that we, we don't want government engaged in. Now that's between her and her doctor uh, and her minister. 
I want you to listen to two things he said there. The first thing that he said was that he believes that health care is a human right. Nobody asked him in that clip to delineate why he believes abortion is health care. He didn't touch on anything to do with the humanity of the aborted child. He avoided it entirely. He just used political speak to say health care is a human right. But the reality is it is downright sad, if not sickening, to believe that health care that abortion is equivalent to health care. It's extremely sad to me that throughout the Michigan lockdown, the first one this past spring and summer, that abortion services were deemed essential health care. There were other things that adversely affected the health of individual human beings that were shut down. People were persuaded not to go to the doctor for things like cancer screenings, but if you wanted to kill your unborn child, you had the ability to do so. So the first thing he says is that healthcare is a human right. It's between her and her doctor, the woman and her doctor. And the second thing that he says is that we don't want government involved in it. But does he even realize, do most people who say that even realize, that the reason this is such a polarizing issue right now is because the government in the form of the Supreme Court in 1973 decided to get involved in that very issue? You see, before 1973... Individual states voted on the issue, and many of them had restrictions on this practice up to and including total illegality of abortion. Michigan has one of the toughest pro-life laws on record, and if Roe versus Wade were to fall, we would become one of the most pro-life states in the nation. The reality is that New York had abortion three years before Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton, the companion piece, were handed down. And we'll talk, we'll talk more about this issue later this month because it's such an important issue to me, but I want you to think about this. First of all, he depersonalizes it by simply referring to it as healthcare. Then he says it's a decision between a woman and her doctor and that government should stay out of it. But the people that say government should stay out of it didn't have any problem with people saying that the Supreme Court or with the Supreme Court saying that it should be legal. So how... Can both of those things be true? Not to mention the final thing, which is the fact that I 
I understand why the world goes for abortion. Satan hates the image of God. That This is why this is so relevant to today's topic, because Satan hates God's image. He wants to kill and destroy. Because you're made in God's image, and he hates God's image. Because at one point he said, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend the throne. I will be higher than God. And God said to him, I'm casting you out of heaven. But there's another factor beyond the two that I just mentioned, and that is that he is claiming to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He claims to serve the same God that said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. The same God that said, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I understand why the world favors abortion. What I don't understand is why people who claim the name of Jesus Christ have decided that abortion is either an unimportant issue or that it is in fact right to be allowed to do. There are certain people that claim the name of Christ who when I challenge them on the issue, they simply talk about not wanting to interfere in a woman's right to choose. They never address what they do with the humanity of the baby because if they allow themselves to say that the baby is human, then they have a certain amount of responsibility to that human life. Contrast what we just heard from Reverend Warnock with what Benjamin Watson, former NFL tight end, has to say about this issue. letter was spearheaded by the pro-life group Human Coalition. Former NFL player Benjamin Watson is an advisory board member of the group, and he's also been openly critical of Warnock. Here's one example of a tweet Watson posted, quote, Pastor, equal access to kill a son or daughter is not justice. He continued, justice is rooted in the dignity of every human endowed by their creator. One cannot truly fight for justice while simultaneously denying it. Former NFL player Benjamin Watson joins us now on Skype. Ben, welcome back. You are a Christian. I understand your father is a Christian pastor. And before your NFL days, you played football for the University of Georgia Bulldogs. All that being said, can you explain what's your response to Georgia Senate candidate Reverend Warnock's claiming he can be both a Christian pastor and pro-abortion? Well, thank you. Thank you for having me having me. Uh, um, Reverend Warnock has, is a pastor and also has espoused his support for the pro-choice or pro-abortion agenda. Um, my specific issue is not simply with him as, as a candidate or a person or many of the things that he has done that have helped the people of Georgia, uh, but as someone who uh, cares about life myself and as someone who I assume he cares about all life, um, being that he is seeking public office, he cannot deny the rights of pre-born children. Um, we talk about the state of Georgia, and as you mentioned before, the black community, our community, the disproportionate numbers um, are a result of abortion. And they're also a result of the many other issues that force men and women to be a, a single option when it comes to an unplanned pregnancy. But I'm going to stand against any politician, whether they be Republican or Democrat, that is in favor of getting um, our greatest gifts, which are the future of this country, which are our preborn children. And you see the difference here. 
Raphael Warnock, when he's addressing the issue, when he's saying how he's pro-abortion, he is addressing it in a stagnant, sterile way and saying, healthcare is the right of every human individual. That's how he justifies the right to kill his future voting base. This is something that I never understand. These Democrats want to foster future voters, and yet they want the right to kill the very ones that they could be persuading to vote for them. And this is a man who who supposedly preaches about the God who says, let the little children come unto me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he had this sterile view of the issue. And then you have the contrast of that is is Benjamin Watson who says, I will never support anyone who believes that it's right to murder our future, to murder our children. And he talked a little bit about the disproportionate impact that abortion has had on the black community. The reality is that Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was a eugenicist. She was looking for the perfect people, the perfect genetic race, and she was all for the extermination of those who were not that. And so we need to make sure that we put these things in perspective. Is it significant that a black man is now a senator in Georgia for the first time in history. Perhaps. But far more significant is a radical liberal agenda which this man carries with him. I voted for John James for the U.S. Senate. I have no problem with voting for someone who is black. I wrote in detail about my voting criteria a few weeks ago before the election and talked about how these things that people put at the top, things like gender and race, that people put at the top of their list when voting are not important to me. Because what I want to know is what you do with the moral issues. And Jesus said, God said, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And I know that people will say, well, our current president has his flaws, and he does. He's not a perfect man, but he has spent the last four years espousing conservative biblical values And I'm very pleased with that. Now the reality is that in a couple weeks we are going to inaugurate a new president and I will be praying for him every single day that he will seek God for wisdom and that God will do a work in this country that cannot be denied. And I urge you to pray for him as well because the Bible says that we are to pray for those who are in authority over us. It does not matter what they believe. We are still to pray for them. So that is my encouragement 
for you today. All right, well, today we are going to talk about In His Image, which is a documentary that was put out by the American Family Association, and I will be sharing the link on the blog post for this podcast episode, so make sure that you avail yourself of that. This documentary was very well done, and I'm really excited to share it with you, but before we dive into the discussion... I want to share a quick quote of the day. And this quote of the day comes from the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creepy thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And so this is the very first chapter of the Bible. This is the crowning achievement of God's creation. God has created all the animals, the sun, the moon, the stars, every other component of earth. And at the last day, he creates man in his image. And I think this is so important and it ties into what we've already talked about today. That if you believe as a Christian that man is made in the image of God, you cannot be for abortion. And if you don't believe that man is made in the image of God, then you can't be a Christian because it's a fundamental belief of the Christian faith is that God created me and therefore I have purpose. So we're going to, I'm going to share with you the trailer for this film and then I will get into some specifics about why I think this is a very important film for all of us to watch and consider and apply. It was a summer day. My dad walked in the door and he said, Denise, I want to become a woman. I went through a brutal time of sexual distortion, molestation, led me into a lifestyle of being gay identified for eight years. I struggled with my identity all the way through my life, lived eight years as Laura Jensen, until I found the Lord Jesus Christ. The issues are unavoidable. They're on the news. The White House in rainbow colors. They're in our legislation. The Texas bathroom bill. In our schools. Drag queen story out. Our entertainment, our social media. They're even reaching into our churches. Let us be the church together. We're not just talking about issues. We're talking about people. Began injecting myself with massive doses of testosterone. Right here is the needle. The needle's about this big. 15 months on hormone blockers. Maybe another month of hormones. There was always this elusive happiness, but I never quite got there. And you began to realize that maybe this didn't fix what you needed to fix. We are taking biologically healthy young children and putting them at risk. Every church in America is facing this. Love and acceptance and inclusion. They are legally married. 
As Christians, we can't sit this one out. Neither can we straddle the fence or just leave it to the experts. Every believer has to discover the truth, and that starts by digging into the scriptures. Many people now say that my experience trumps scripture. Can we change God's words? We don't have the luxury to edit what God has said. Being created in God's image means that God's fingerprints are all over us. The man and the woman are created each for each other. There is a fittedness. That's the language. If Jesus Christ becomes your Lord, he is the one who is to identify who you are. I left my partner. I left my job. I left my entire identity behind. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Is it really possible that I can experience change? The fact that there's a struggle doesn't mean that you're on the wrong path. Obeying God is a struggle. Holiness is a struggle. There is hope for you. God loves you. And you are made in the image of God. I felt like light was bursting forth from me and I knew I was completely changed. And there is the trailer for In His Image, and that is available for free on the American Family Association website, so I will include the link, as I said earlier. Um, but let's dive in a little bit. I really appreciated this documentary, and I think it's because one of the reasons is because it's very well organized. The first half hour or so is just explaining to us the significance of the created order. And I, I was talking to my brother yesterday and, and really uh, had this thought as I was talking to him that even we as believers in Jesus Christ who are in heterosexual marriages, we don't understand um, necessarily the significance of what God has created and how God has created us as men and women uh, to work together. I, I noticed this when I saw a post on one of the Facebook groups that I'm a part of about how a woman, woman has the ability to make her husband a king. So basically be a kingmaker and not in the sense that your husband is royalty by virtue of being a husband, but in the sense that God calls men to lead, and as women encourage their husbands to lead, it bolsters them and gives them the encouragement they need to continue leading in this time in our lives, in our culture, where we desperately need leadership. And of course, there was a great number of people in the comments that were taking um, offense to this, because they said, well, that just fosters abuse, and that that's just a wrong way of looking at it, and nobody ever said that men were supposed to be kings. But that wasn't the point of the post. The point of the post is that God knows what he's doing when he gives each person a role. The point of the post is that God made them male and female, and that males and females have differences. And I, I made the point that in situations, um, where men and women work together, where they, especially like in, in Bible studies and discussion formats, men can tend to be passive when they should lead because it, they can easily become overwhelmed 
by the women in their lives. And I believe that that's part of the reason for God's created order. Now there are, there are many reasons why God decided this, that women would be the helper of man. And the first and most obvious is that God created man first and then there was no helper for him. And so he created the woman as a help meet. And I go into more detail on this in my book, Men of Valor. But this is not a bad thing. The point was made on the documentary that the Holy Spirit is called a helper to us. So the term helper is not in its own self a demeaning thing. And so I think one of the cool things about this documentary is it explained how the genders are supposed to work together to form marriage, which is the picture of Christ and his church. So that's the first part of the documentary. And then the second part of the documentary is three different testimonies about how God uh, worked through the lives of other people to bring them out of dark places in alternative lifestyles. There was a testimony from a man who was a homosexual for eight years, and there was a testimony from a woman who lived as a transgender for several years and from a man who lived as a transgender for several years, and they found hope through Jesus Christ. And it was really exciting to see how God worked in their lives. It wasn't an easy process. It was a long process, I think, in in all cases. And then there was a third testimony of a woman who was affected by her father's decision to choose that lifestyle. And it just talked about some of the dangerous things that can happen when we accept this type of lifestyle. The Bible says that God made us male and female. God is an infinite loving creator. He knew what he was doing when he made us. Are there some defects? Are there some abnormalities? Yes, there are, because we live in a fallen world. But it's not an excuse to embrace that way of thinking. And then the third section of this documentary, I think in some ways might be the most important in it because it detailed the way that we as believers should respond to these issues. And one of the most significant ways is to hear and listen to the stories of those around us who are struggling. It can be so easy to look at someone's sin and say, just stop doing that. But it's not that easy, especially with certain things, to just stop. 
So sometimes understanding someone's background, understanding the turmoil that they went through can help us to know how to help them. Because the reality is none of our struggles are a surprise to an almighty God who created us for his purpose. I think particularly in, in one case, the, the, the lady that was featured who had lived a transgender life for several years, she notes that her parents in her growing up years were, were very real legalistic. And that kind of pushed her to test the boundaries and to get out from under that oppression and to just really become her own person. And for her, that was getting into some really evil things and ultimately uh, choosing to become a man. But she said, no matter what I did, no matter what the next thing was, I could never fully feel like or become fulfilled as a man because no matter what I did to my body, I was still a woman. And uh, there was a, a similar story about a man who actually started a ministry helping people who struggle with this lifestyle to get out of it. And he said he's had 300,000, I think, people come to his website for help. And so I think it's very important for us to address these issues, to come at them with love, and to realize that God has a plan for everyone. And then also, one of the other significant things that was brought up is that these decisions that we make to modify our bodies based on this premise that we are in the wrong body, that we are the wrong gender, or that we have an alternative uh, way of living, we often do permanent things to damage our bodies when we're going through a temporary struggle. It was pointed out that a lot of times puberty might be a natural way for us to deal with these questions and these problems that we're having. But if we block it, if we block that natural process, we are not allowing that natural growth of our, of our lives and allowing us to push through the confusion that we are experiencing. So I think it's very important for us as we engage in the public square to first of all realize that God knew what he was doing when he created men. He knew what he was doing when he created women. And when we get away from the moral, uh, definite truth of these things, then we have a lot of struggles that come out of that. It was pointed out also in this film that in previous times, the church would say, well, what does scripture say? And then science and philosophy would follow 
that. And the point was made that the tendency tends to be today to put science and philosophy on a list and then put scripture third. Where scripture lines up with science and philosophy, we will embrace it. But if we don't feel like it does, then we won't. And this affects so many different things in our culture. It affects um, the way that we view relationships. It affects the, the way that we view marriage because we no longer, even in the church, I think, view marriage as a oneness, as a partnership, but rather often as two individuals living together, trying to reach their own ends and yet still somehow stay together. And that adds pressure. And then beyond that, we don't uh, have any parameters for what marriage looks like, so then we embrace um, same-sex relationships, and we we embrace um, saying, well, I was born in the wrong body. But again, in order to say that, we have to go against Almighty God, who said, I made you male and female, and I had a purpose for your life. And then of course it touches on this issue of abortion, which we talked about earlier. The fact that without a moral compass, without a, a moral standard that says before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This little baby that you're talking about is now a product of conception or a, or a problem to be gotten rid of. I think it's it's kind of interesting that we call it a termination of a pregnancy, and yet, if nothing was going on, if there was no life in the womb, there would be no termination necessary. So I think it's kind of convenient how we we mix metaphors and we just say, well, that's fine, that's appropriate as long as we don't name it. Several years ago when I was working for Right to Life of Michigan, we had a bill that we were working on in the state of Michigan that would that would require abortion clinics to offer, not, not make, not require the women to see the ultrasound, but to offer the women the opportunity to see the ultrasound. And there was a stat that said that 90% of women, after they see an ultrasound, will choose life for their baby. Because going back to the earlier example, as long as we take humanity out of the equation, as long as we say healthcare is a human right, instead of, instead of talking about the future of our children, instead of talking about these babies as boys and girls, as long as we look at it as health care, instead of talking about it as humanity, we can justify it. Even in Raphael Warnock's case as a minister of the gospel. And so I really was moved by this documentary. I hope that you will take the time, hopefully um, with your spouse, to watch it. And really just commit to praying 
uh, for this community and having a proper response for them because we need to make sure that we are responding in love and not in hate all the while knowing that sometimes we will be perceived as haters because we are espousing the truth those that hate the truth will hate us Jesus said if the world hates you it will be because it hated me before you so I hope that this will encourage you Maybe there's someone in your life that's struggling with some of these things and you uh, can continue to pray for them and to love on them and to show them that Jesus loves them and he made them the way they were meant to be. I think we've all struggled to a certain degree with personal identity. I know... For me, with my disability, I struggled with it and said, God, why did you make me the way that I am? But we read in the Old Testament about God being the potter and us being the clay. And there's a verse, and I I might just go ahead and look it up, but there's a verse that says, Shall the clay say to the potter, how have you made me or why have you made me? And that's our tendency as human beings, right? We say, God, why did you do this? I remember when my brother died, um, just saying, God, why did you take him instead of me? Because I felt useless. I felt like, why Why am I alive when he was perfectly healthy and you took him in his sleep? But I had to realize that God has a plan. And Isaiah 45, 9 says, Woe unto him that striveth with his maker, let the posture strive with the potters of the earth, shall the clay say to him that fashioned it, What makest thou, or thy work, he that hath no hands? So, here, basically the explanation is, God made you. God had a purpose for you. And we read also in Isaiah, His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. They are above and beyond the things that we think. And the reality is that we all have a genetic disposition towards sin because we are imperfect. Because from the time that Adam and Eve ate that fruit... We've been striving against the created order that God put in place. That is the reality with which we live. And my hope and prayer for you is that you will commit to God to return to the blueprint of His Word, to return to the way that you need to live life based on what he has done 
for you. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I live, I live now by the faith of him who gave himself for me, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how Paul expresses himself in the book of Galatians. And so I hope that this has been an encouragement to you. Again, I want to thank you so much for your support of this podcast. And as we move into 2021, I'm really excited about some of the things we have coming. As I said, we're going to talk more about the sanctity of human life as we move through this month of January. So please make sure that you let me know if there's a story about um, something to do with pro-life issues, or if you have a story uh, of hope related to that, I would really appreciate you sharing that so that we can share that on the show. As always, you can leave contact inform- You can leave uh, any contact you want to make uh, with the contact information that is going to roll at the end of the show, uh, whether it be a voicemail or an email or a Facebook post. All of that information will roll in just a few minutes. And I hope that as you go through this week, that God will be first and foremost in your thoughts and in your heart, and that above all, you will keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.